Welcome to Not Another Election, a guide for the exasperated. My name is Simon, I'm the producer, and we're continuing our journey together as we build up to the 2019 general election. We'll have lots of discussions over the next few weeks, and we want to share some of our thoughts with you. Join our conversations as we unpack the campaign points and try to make sense of the barrage of information we'll receive over the course of the campaign. This episode, we're at the start of the third week of campaigning, and joining me is Tom, Jason, and George. Hello. 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 Tom, do you want to kick us off just a little reminder of who you are and, and where you are? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Tom. I'm uh, sat in Jason's kitchen, much like I was last week, um, and I will be voting in my local constituency in London. Great. And hopefully you're sounding a bit better this week because we've had an upgrade, haven't we? We have upgrades to a legitimate real-life microphone. Can you believe it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? I mean, BBC, take note. We're hitting the next level. Brilliant. Jason, tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Jason. Um, I am also in a kitchen in <laughs> southwest London. <laughs> And uh, I am not registered to vote because, unfortunately, I cannot. I'm not allowed. I'm not eligible um, because I'm a German citizen. But I've lived in the UK for eight years and I'm very interested in what's going to happen in this election. Somebody else who is very interested in politics and I know keeps himself very well informed of what's going on is George. George, tell us a bit about yourself. Bloody hell, what an an intro. No no pressure, no pressure, (laughs) mate. Um, Yeah, so I am also in Jason's kitchen and um, I will be voting in the Conservative stronghold of Epsom and Ewell. Um, so yeah, but super looking forward to chatting away about some politics with you guys. So um, I'm based uh, down in mid-Sussex. All of you guys are in Jason's kitchen in London. One time, we may even get ourselves in the same room, but that time is not today. No, we can only dream. First episode didn't hit off quite as much as we hoped, and we are still very much in a kitchen, yes. Um, Right, so we need to recap what's happened since last time. Well, Sam, uh, who joined us last week, was hoping for lots and lots of scandal, and Simon, you know... He's not been disappointed. He's not been disappointed. I wanted to use a rude word there. Um, (laughs) The the manure has hit the fan. (laughs) Uh, Just this morning, I walked into the kitchen at work where we've got a telly, and who do I see on the news if it wasn't Jennifer Akuri herself? And I did not think we would see her face on the news again. She is back. Tom, can you recap who Jennifer is for us? Um, Jennifer is an American businesswoman who, uh, you're going to have to interrupt me here in case I get any of my facts wrong, which is highly possible. She's an American businesswoman who is alleged to have had an affair with Boris Johnson um, at some point in the past, and also um, alleged to have, because of her relationship with him, been given favourable kind of business terms when he was Mayor of London. Does that pretty much sum it up? That is pretty much it. And the GLA are currently, well, the Greater London Authority are currently looking into um, the fidelity of those of those claims and whether yeah. um, it was legitimate for uh, the Mayor of London to go and hold <laughs> meetings in her home. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, is that same investigation, I feel this is the almost extra, extra dollop of scandal that we've had in the last couple of days. Am I right in saying that same investigation is now looking into a potential affair with another woman? That he had a child from? With? Could be the first claim on the claimometer there. Love it. <laughs> we have no idea if he had a child. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking about um, all this scandal, but in one sense, why are we talking about all this? We should be talking about politics, shouldn't we? But this is politics, Simon. That's the beauty of it yeah. because it's these sort of things that shape voters' opinions. It's true. Truthfully, it's true. Exactly. The stuff that's 
particularly come out um, again, I guess, about Boris this week. How is that shaping our opinions, and what do we think it's how how do we think it's shaping the UK's opinion? I would say, I mean, me personally, I don't. I, I'm sure a lot of people will share this view. I don't particularly view Boris Johnson as a particularly trustworthy individual, and haven't, and haven't and haven't done for some time. So I'm not actually sure if this latest revelation is gonna, you know, it doesn't really change that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, I I think he's pretty bulletproof when it comes to these sort of things. They don't really stick in the same way, like in the sort of in the Trump style they don't really like stick to him in that way so he can kind of say deflect almost what he wants not necessarily everything but he can kind of say stuff almost with impunity because he's say and do yeah and yeah exactly but he can kind of sort of act with impunity just because of the kind of character and the buff like sort of bumbling kind of persona he has he gets away with these sort of things it's probably not a quality that corbyn possesses i feel like Corbyn's stuff sticks to Corbyn and it, it hangs around a bit more and that's not good for him. Yeah, no, I think it is, it is I mean, you can't really, it's difficult to put, put your finger on exactly what you'd call this kind of skill, if you want to call it that. But yeah, like the ability to kind of deflect criticism or controversy and just always kind of come out of it, you know, with kind of dignity, if you like. He is the slipperiest of yeah, sounds. And it's, I don't even know if you necessarily, if you'd call it a skill or a trait really but yeah it's almost like i mean it's incredible just weeks ago obviously he was saying things like i'd rather die than miss the 31st of october brexit deadline and everyone seems to have forgotten about it we're quite happy to get on with another election and he's leading in the polls yeah and this is it yeah i think i I personally think like what's interesting about it is that he you know often these things come down to sort of events and um clearly he the way he's perceived in the public is he's this kind of you know sort of man of the people he's sort of a good laugh he's a jokey sort of bloke i think what will really start to damage him and i think the tories perceived that to be the case is this kind of relationship with the brexit party and you can see in the kind of labor um campaign literature how they're trying to like shift it onto this thing so like another scandal that's come out this week about um the conservative party um potentially or allegedly offering peerages to to Brexit party candidates to stand down in certain seats. Again, like this all feeds into events taking over the election, but actually, you know, I think from a perception standpoint, it I think that's what is more likely to damage Boris and the Tories rather than events yeah. like we're talking about just, now. Just another story about Boris's social life, because as we say, over the past, even probably over the past 15 years, he's had numerous stories about his personal life and he's come out relatively unscathed. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the interesting thing about differences in politics in different countries as well, because obviously in America, uh, where you've got one person running for president, for instance, it's very much about personality and, um, you know, what values people associated with their candidates. Whereas here, technically we're voting for a party. We're not just voting for Boris or for mm. uh, for Corbyn. We're voting for the party and, and actually the candidate in our local seat. And obviously they then choose uh, the uh, candidate for prime minister. Yet, obviously, we do always end up referring back to these big personalities in some way. So I do wonder, I mean, does it sway your votes in terms of who your party that you feel most closely aligned with, who they, they choose as this uh, figurehead at the top. Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because also then there's the point that, you know, the, the leader of the party can change mid, mid-term. 
you know, if, even if, if Boris gets voted in as prime minister, it doesn't mean even if the Tories have a five year term, it doesn't mean he'll be prime minister at the end of it. They could have a, you know, leadership contest and all the rest of it. So it is very much, you know. Well, you- I mean, you yourself, would, do you consider this an election between Boris, Jeremy, Joe and uh, and Nicola? I mean, obviously, we can't vote for Nicola down here. Um, but or do you consider this a, 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 an election between the Tories, the Labour and Lib Dem? I think I always try. For me, it would definitely be more about the party rather than the individual, I think, because ultimately in the long term, that's what's going to shape the type of government that they run. Mm. Um, and the leader of the party will always have to answer to their party. So I think, yeah, for me, it's more. It's definitely more about the, the party as a whole. I, I, it's weird because I kind of... <sighs> Yeah, I've got a, a good local Labour candidate, I think, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But clearly, voting for Labour and sort of having to, at the same time, think that you're kind of endorsing the leadership at the same time yeah. is quite a challenge for me. And I, I, I think for a lot of people, that's both for both sides, whether you're pro-Labour, pro-Tory, at the local level, you may have very big issues both with with the two main candidates that are, that are probably going to be our prime minister in less than a month's time. So I think that's really interesting. I think the other thing that's interesting is that you know everyone talks about like oh like the Tories are oh, they're like seven points ahead in the polls and um, or, or whatever it might be, but clearly like the elections fought on local like it's a series of local competitions essentially mm. that that ascent, that we arrive at a. A, a sort of leader for the whole country so you know you can talk about the big national picture but often these local battles and these local challenges are where it's going to be won what, or lost yeah what about you simon do you find in previous elections maybe you've actually looked into who your local candidate is or do you usually just pitch it by um who the party is or even who the leader is i think this is really well summed up by the last time i voted i remember looking at the ballot paper and looking at the icons, the parties, and the names next to them, there was no connection between the two of them. And I thought, I, I literally have not looked into any of these people at all. I had looked into the policies, I had thought about what they were kind of standing for. But politics is personal, like, we should maybe vote on policies and, and for a party. I think you inevitably are voting for a personality because that person running that party makes such a difference, right? In my constituency, so Nicholas Soames has been the MP, you know, uh, Winston Churchill's grandson. He's, you know, he's a well-liked individual. I think that goes beyond like being a conservative and he's retiring, he's standing down. What should I look at? Should I look at the individual people? Should I look at the parties? And we're still manifesto-less and we don't have any manifestos. We are indeed manifestoless, which is why we're talking about all these kind of what may end up being minor, minor scandals. Potential major, major scandal that no, we're not talking about because we can't, is whether we're going to be interfered with politically. Right. Um, <laughs> from, you know, outside, outside influence, because there's a report in the UK that's not being released about Russian interference. Are we worried that our media and our news is going to be you know, compromised. Mm. And Hillary Clinton has been interfering about the interference of the Russians in our elections. Everyone's interfering. She's interfered in the interference. She got a book out though. That's why she's interfering. That's right. Yeah, that's all right. That makes sense. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, fair play, Hillary. (laughs) But yeah, seriously, are we worried? Do we think that the news that we're going to be reading and the media that we're going to be consuming is going to be unbiased? Do we think that it's going to be representative or are we concerned that we might get hacked 
So, I mean, I, I think obviously it, it, the way that we're like framing the, the question is quite tricky. I think obviously it depends on the location in which you're trying to get your news from is obviously yeah. really important. I think one of the things that I'm like, obviously this, I'm really interested in is thinking about use of social media and the Brexit campaign. Um, and, the, and clearly that was a, a quite a big controversy at the time. Mm. But just thinking about kind of people's backgrounds and their ability to scrutinize the information that they're, that they're looking at. Um, clearly, like, I'd like to think that I've got a fairly good eye for a, a kosher social media post, but you never know. It might get it, you know, you might look at something and, and believe it to be true. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, for the benefit of our listeners, but also of myself. Um, <laughs> um, when, when we when, you know, when we talk about interference, where are the areas that we should be looking out for? Is it just social media posts? Is it actually what we consider to be news, but to, might turn out not to be news? So I think a lot of it is, well, I say I'm going to emphasize with the word on think. I wouldn't like to claim to be an expert in a subject. But obviously a lot of it is to do with advertising and the news that you are fed as an individual because obviously a lot of advertising these days and therefore you know kind of articles that will appear on your like social media news feeds will be stuff that is targeted to you because obviously there's a lot of data around about what we the type of news that we consume and that kind of thing so i think a lot of it is whether the news that's being fed kind of targeted is fake whether that news is fake or not and i think as george said the big thing is, is whether we think we're able to spot fake news yes and i, I think i think that's where the difficulty lies um especially you know if you're looking at this from from different generations and how over the last few years we've consumed uh, media and political ads so if you are receiving uh, a political message from one of the more traditional sources like your radio or your tv for instance then we know there are checks and balances in place that someone is looking at that and kind of fact checking it and making sure it's from you know who's paying for it and so on. Um, so I think as the general public, we kind of trust that. Whereas as soon as it's online, we are unsure what those checks and balances are, whether there are any regulations to speak of at all, um, who's posting it, where they're posting it from. Yeah. Um, and that's where obviously the, the controversy lies. Um, is, am I kind of correct? In, in yeah, I think so. I think, and again, the tr- I, mean, I suppose ultimately we just have to, I suppose, if we think that we can spot fake news, then great. But I think the other thing is, is do we think that that's going to influence how we vote? Or do we feel like, are we concerned by the fact that some of our news may be? So I, I look at it, I, and this is this is typical like metropolitan elite London bubble attitudes. <laughs> but I, I look at it. And at I'm least like, we're calling ourselves out. Yeah, yeah that's true. but I, I look at it and I, I, I have enough confidence in myself and my educational background to be able to look at a bit of news and have a critical eye for it and determine you know the validity of that source what i'm concerned about is a wider electorate that hasn't had the same opportunities as me to kind of have that critical eye bloody old chip on shoulder yeah um but yeah <laughs> that's a good point but I, I think that's really important and i, I mean it's literally i before the, elect- the the election came around um it was obviously a really big news story in America with with Twitter, well, globally, but Twitter and banning political advertising altogether. Um, it was a really big statement. Mm. And now there's pressure on other social media companies to do the same. Um, so I think it's important. I think if people opt in to receive social media posts, i.e. 
on Twitter, I follow the Conservatives and Labour to un- and the Lib Dems to understand the position. Right. That's one thing. Yeah. I think when you're being pushed political advertising, things become tricky. Yeah. So I think, I think my yeah. In summary, my concern isn't for myself; it's more for the wider electorate and what it may mean for the electoral outcome. Okay. And, and, that's, that's, and that's not even taking into account the amount of random. You know, anyone these days can just start a podcast and start blurting their opinions out all over the place. Yeah, they can start <laughs> tweeting before we even worry about that. <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare out there. It really is. It's the wild west. <laughs> the wild west. Moving us on potentially. Because we've 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 chatted on this subject for a little while, and I'm keen to I'm keen to keep flying through uh, a breakneck speed of the campaign that we're mirroring. Um, should we move on to tactical voting? We we touched on it a little bit. Um, someone want to just explain what tactical voting is to to kick us off? Tactical voting is when you are not voting for the person you sincerely want to, i.e., you're not voting for the party or candidate who are you are mostly uh, closely aligned to um, in terms of policy or values. But actually, you're just trying to prevent a worse option from getting into power. Um, so in a scenario where there are, for instance, three parties um, and there are two which are more likely to win your seat, but you actually want to um, vote for the smaller third, um, you might choose to vote for one of the two big ones to prevent the other big one from getting yeah. there. So can we take a like, typical example for this election with, say, we take Brexit, which is obviously still very much a major issue. If you're looking at Conservative, Labour and Lib Dems views on Brexit, if you yourself are a pretty staunch Remainer, Mm. and so therefore you want to avoid Brexit at all costs, you might naturally, with that viewpoint, you should maybe vote Lib Dem, but you're nervous about Lib Dems' likelihood of getting into power, so you therefore vote for Labour because they're more likely to maybe get in and ultimately your aim is to stop the conservatives that we know are going to push for a speedy brexit exactly exactly and i think again so i I think when it comes to tactical voting it's not necessarily just down to the individual as a voter but also about the parties and how they organize to try and um better target to sort of better focus the minds of the electorate so um you know we've been hearing in the press recently about these kind of remainder coalitions where um, sort of remain MPs, well, remain proposing parties, standing down, standing aside. The Liberal Democrats done it in Wales in a by-election before the election was called. Ply Cymru stood aside and, and the Liberal Democrats took a seat there yeah. um, and beat the Tories. So it's happening both on the remain side, but also clearly, as we've seen this week and we've already mentioned in terms of the scandal, um, in the scandal piece is that, you know, the Tories won. Yeah, I mean, that's a massive, massive case of, massive example of tactical voting, isn't it? The unilateral leave alliance. Yeah, exactly. So it's interesting. Do we think, like Simon, for example, you said that your constituency historically has been a Conservative stronghold, albeit with new candidates this time round. Are you thinking how you may be able to place your vote tactically? It's really hard to know because... What's really interesting is that it used to be a conservative Lib Dem fight, and then there was Clegmania, and then there wasn't Clegmania, (laughs) (laughs) and then Labour was the second place party, and in a sense kind of came out of nowhere. In the last two elections, I think they've held second place. Um, It was also a Remain voting constituency. Mm -hmm. Who knows where that's going to go, because what are all those Remain people doing? What are the Leave people doing? the, The vote seems to move about quite a lot. Um, I was just looking up 
three-way. Steady. <laughs> it's a really grown-up podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, just looking at Northeast Fife. So the SNP won it. The Lib Dems were second, and the Conservatives were third. And there's so this is 2017. Th- this is 2017. Yeah, I think it's like two votes in it between them and the Lib Dems. What? Wow. Um, and the Conservatives are only you know three thousand behind. You know, it, it like it, they're not that far behind. And you kind of think, well, if you're an SNP voter, or if you're a if you're a, a Remain voter in Scotland who believes in the union, how are you going to vote in this election? Yeah, that is interesting. Because I think. Well, I mean, George, you said the same. You said you're almost certain that your constituency will be conservative again. So from your perspective, how does that, does that alter the way that you will maybe vote? Well, yeah, I get, I mean, it's a really, it's a really tricky one because, I mean, you're looking at like 60% of the vote is Tory, which is like bloody high and very hard to, to shift. And like we're talking about an area where you know, you haven't got that much demographic change. You've got the same sort of people living there. So it's whether the, the views have shifted that much mm. um, since the last election. And I don't think in the seat that I'm in, there's actually going to be any movement in the yeah. same way, like, you know, Scottish nationalism can shift quite quickly. If you're in parts of London and, and you know, you're, you're thinking about social issues in a different way, you've got a, a replacement of people, like things change. But for me, I think I genuinely don't know who I'm going to vote for anyway. Um, normally inclined would be inclined to vote Labour um, but at this election I literally have no clue and that's like why I'm really interested that we're having these chats because and that is the theme of the podcast (laughs) bloody exasperated bloody exasperated I mean just listening to your responses there is so interesting Um, Simon your example from the SNP uh, up north is, is fascinating because once again it comes down to this whole dilemma of this election being almost a proxy Brexit referendum and so once again we go back to the same issue of your classic party allegiances versus your preference on the Brexit question because you know who knows um, obviously you're uh, voting kind of in the the south east London area um, George and even though traditionally it's a Tory seat maybe some of those lots of those um, you know Tory voters in that constituency actually uh, prefer remain so where do they go do they go Lib Dem um, but then are the Lib Dems likely to win that seat? Maybe not. So where are they left, um, especially if they're also facing the threat from the Brexit party on the other, on the other extreme? It's right. I think what's really interesting is actually in the, in the 2017 election, you know, it, we went into that election, Theresa May called the election, wanted to increase our majority to, to push a Brexit bill through. Actually, what we had there was we came back to a two-party system almost where the other votes fell away and we had, again, the kind of the emergence of the two party systems being prominent again. So we've, it's almost like the politics has kind of swung back in its head and we've got this two party system that's come back into the fold. And actually within that, you know, it was a Brexit election originally. And then as events transpired in the in the election, you know, things like Grenfell happening, bringing all sorts of different social issues to the fore. Um, you know, people's views and attitudes and the debate shifted really quickly. Labour don't want this election to be run about Brexit. The Tory party want it to be run about Brexit. And this is why we are where we are. So it's interesting when you call it a Brexit election, Jason, because I know that's clearly why we're here and this is what it's about. But I think, interestingly, you know, 
it depends where you want the debate to be framed, how, you know, what you care about ind individually. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I find that so, so frustrating about this um, electoral system. Um, and part of me is quite glad I'm not, <laughs> not able uh, to vote in that system because coming from a German background, we, obviously we have a more pluralistic system um, and we have a more um, diverse parliament where even some of the smaller parties, if they, you know, gain enough uh, votes are able to be represented. We are in a position over the last few years in the UK where I don't think the modern um, political landscape reflects the very traditional and, and ancient constitution with a small c uh, that we have. Sorry to throw out political lingo. When you, when you say um, constitution with a small c, what do you mean by that? So as, in, as opposed to a constitution like in America where you have a very written um, and codified constitution where yeah. everything that happens in terms of the political process is defined um, and you can go back and read what the rules say. Um, in the UK, as we've seen in the last few months uh, with the speaker going rogue, um, no one really knowing what, what to do when uh, Boris wanted to prorogue parliament and so on. Those rules are based more on uh, tradition okay. um, and, and precedent. Yeah. Um, and obviously the problem with that is it's in our modern system where we no longer, even though you kind of say, oh, we're almost going back to a two-party system, actually, there is a pluralism of views out there now. And even along the Brexit question, we have kind of four different views represented, right? If you look at Brexit Party, Conservatives, Labour and Lib Dem. But then you also have the Green Party, who are very strongly pushing a completely alternative focus of this election on, you know, the climate crisis, um, which I think, you know, has seen massive response um, in the UK and, and worldwide over the last few months. Um, so... Clearly, there's an appetite there from voters to actually go with different opinions. And we aren't just represented by these traditional two parties anymore. But at the same time, we're massively frustrated and have to think tactically and how we vote for them in this first past the post system. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jason. I think that's one of the biggest frustrations for me is the fact that we are still focusing so much on being a two party kind of system. And I mean, like, I'll be reading today that in you know the upcoming ITV televised debate is mm. only going to be Corbyn versus Johnson and like for me I therefore have very little well I will I have an interest in it but I would just take a, I would much prefer even if you are going to have smaller parties that you know may not get themselves into government I would much rather that was a cross-board debate with five six seven parties rather than just the main two because again for people like the for parties like the Lib Dems or the SNP or whoever it might be how are they supposed to kind of bring their, you know, policies and bring their views to the forefront if they're not being, you know, allowed to kind of debate on this in this kind of arena? I guess the thought process there goes, one of these two parties is going to be forming a government. So by having a head to head between these two, we're kind of we're fighting out the main battle. And we, we had in the last set of debates you know we had a was it set i don't know seven parties we had a big all parties debate and i think we're going to have another one there's going to be one this election a bit later um but they are chaotic and nobody's i don't think anyone says anything helpful in that kind of debate um and i don't know i don't know how we how we broke i think you're right tom like we've got to find some way to like bring all the views together but i don't know having a huge debate like that i don't know i don't know how much it helps the question is that where's the next nick clegg going to come from that's exactly yeah. what i was going to say 
But you think about like I can't remember. I think it was one. It was one of the first TV debates. I think the first one was probably in two thousand ten. Yeah. But yeah, Fact checkers, get get on <laughs> get it. Get on it. <laughs> Maybe that could be a claim. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think when you think about the twenty fifteen election and um, well, no, when you think about the twenty ten election uh, and as Tom says, the the kind of rise of Nick Nick Clegg and. You know, everyone, you know, everyone's talking about, I agree with Nick and everyone's there's like this broad consensus and he shot up the, into stardom. If you, if you were to track kind of Lib Dem's performance before and after that, those, those TV debates, yeah. you know, that it allowed them to get on the agenda and it allowed them to seize control of the kind of, of the com- the political commentary of the time. Mm-hmm. And so, that's clearly what Joe, sorry, Tom, that's clearly what Joe's clamouring for, isn't she? She's really trying to get into the spotlight. That's why the SNP and yeah. Lib Dem sued ITV to try and get that airtime um, because obviously they're hoping for that sort of impact. Because also I, I see, I can understand what Simon was saying there, yeah, he was saying the logic of the, you know, probably the broadcaster is that one of these two major parties are going to be in power, therefore these are the two that is most important to, you know, for everyone to be able to kind of debate their views. But then similarly, I, I would argue that it's also rather likely that even though they'll be the main party in power, it's definitely possible they will require a coalition to also form a coalition with another smaller party. So that is where I feel like, you know, having the Lib Dems involved in 2010 was super, super valuable because then you can start thinking as a voter, well, if I don't want to vote for either of the main two parties, which of these other parties am I going to vote for? Thinking ahead to if, you know, they can still gain a kind of seat in seat in power. Um, so it's difficult. I mean, hopefully, as you say, hopefully there will be a kind of wider debate um, but yeah, I think as a kind of from the outset is a little bit of a shame. Today, as we record on Monday, we had the uh, CBI conference. So the Confederation of Business. Oh, good. I don't know why everyone just looked at me. Looking at us. Looking at us. <laughs> as if I'm like the voice right. of business in the corner. Bear with. Bear with. <laughs> Some live Googling going on. Live fact-checking here. It is the, um, I would like to say you were close, but I'm afraid you what you weren't. No. The CBI is the Confederation of British Industry. Well, I mean, Confederation, they're a group, right? I got that right. <laughs> but um, so the CBI conference today taking place, and it was a chance for um, kind of the, the, the leaders of the parties to kind of put forth their agenda to business. I think that's kind of the main thing ahead of the manifestos that we can kind of really get into a little bit. To summarize that, conservatives talking about their rolling back on their tax cuts, maybe giving that money to the NHS, so their big their big promise of NHS spending, um, and Labour wanting to invest in infrastructure and particularly their full fibre broadband. Because I think the biggest pledge we've heard in the last few days, you just mentioned then, is the Labour free fibre broadband for everyone pledge. Yeah. It's huge. Which is huge. It is definitely a claim. Is it going to be of any quality um, that we can record a podcast on? Well, that's the point, isn't it? I feel like it all depends. I mean, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And I'm sure for both individuals and businesses, that sounds great. But it ultimately is there about how it's going to be delivered and what that actually looks like in reality. Um, I mean, either way, I think if you were listening to what those two main parties were saying today, you could either take in a very positive light because you could say, obviously, Corbyn was promising a lot of investment um, or you could take it in, in quite a negative light. Uh, Boris 
pulled back on one of his key promises from just a few months ago in oh, terms yeah. of that tax cuts to business. We are used to that. And if you're worried about Corbyn coming into power as a very leftist economist and um, you know talking about nationalisation, again, from a business point of view, that might be quite scary. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's. I find it really interesting because it really matters about kind of what you read on this. So just like googling <laughs> Corbyn's broadband. The first article is about Jeremy Corbyn's broadband plan, how it differs from Australia's NBM, the blunder down under. They tried to roll this sort of thing out in Australia. The blunder down under. And it's and it struggled. The that next article. The next article is a Daily Mail classic. <laughs> we love a Daily Mail classic. <laughs> Crackpot Corbyn's communist plan to nationalise broadband. <laughs> 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 and that, and that is what my cookies are doing for me at the moment. So, well, they've attended their year five English class about alliteration. Yeah, <laughs> very good. So, what, what does anyone know a bit more about this plan? Because a key phrase that Corbyn said was, "Internet is a utility as much as electricity or water," and I fundamentally agree with that. But I pay for my water, and I pay for my electricity depending on how much I use. But the system that delivers it is a nationalized system. Am I reading nuance into this? Are they saying, don't worry guys, we're going to pay for it? Or are they kind of, is it a bit more nuanced? We don't know. They haven't got the I, don't know. I would that, assume, but... you make a very good point. I would assume, this maybe this is, could well be a dangerous thing to assume. I would assume that the access is available for free to everyone, but yes, there will there be charges depending on usage, surely. Well, so as far as I'm aware, their their proposals are to take 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 back part control of British Telecoms, mm-hmm, BT right. of op- of OpenReach, not of British Telecoms. Right. That's true. Well, I, I, unless unless I'm reading this wrong, but OpenReach is the ones that like deliver the internet. They are the water pipes. Yeah, they're like the, the infrastructure. Yeah, OpenReach. Um, but well, what I found really interesting is like straight after the announcement, like BT share price like fell the next day. Um, and I think the market's reaction is, not you know, good. it's not good because clearly like having a diversity, like a diverse market where people can compete for contracts and drive drive the price down for consumers. They look at this and they go, actually, do you know what? So the state are intervening here. And what does that mean for me as a provider offering a service in the private market? Yeah. So you've got all of these different distortions in the market. And I, I can't claim mm. to know exactly what they are so so just um, so to make the distinction clear because i'm not sure if i understand so we're making the access to internet i.e essentially the the, the tubes and pipes and cables that <laughs> provide yeah. it that's going to be free but not the usage i reckon let's think of it this way if we can try and using electricity as an example <coughs> excuse me my understanding would be if you think with electricity the, na- the national grid right is nationalized that's what generates the electricity that's the infrastructure behind getting power to people's houses but you pay your electricity bills through an energy company mm. dependent on usage do we think this is following a similar kind of structure so i think the the honest answer is we don't know and i don't <laughs> think labor so, so often <laughs> the case already right? on this podcast <laughs> we just don't know <laughs> we just don't know but if we don't know it's safe to assume some other people might also not know and that is the problem as long as john mcdonald knows he's the man that needs to know in short we're assuming that the labor party are being sensible but what we've done here is what probably most of the country is doing right now which is we've read a headline and we're debating it, and we're not quite sure what the detail is. And that is the problem with all these policy suggestions coming out, 
lots of Torah, but lots we haven't sandbox. actually seen a manifesto. Mm, yeah. We haven't seen anything that's costed. We don't, at this point, if we were to go into the polls tomorrow and vote based on what we've read over the last week or two, that would be false information, yeah. wouldn't it? Like, and, that wouldn't be an accurate description. I, and we still don't know. And I, but I, yeah, I think regardless of what we know or don't know, I think what's interesting is the kind of the kind of political manoeuvring, and mm. the and the and the way that they're trying to like put their kind of um, their sort of flag in the sand almost, and say you know this is what you know we this is how we see the country, this is what we think it should be. And I look at it as almost just like all they're doing is essentially redistributing wealth. Essentially, like it's a applying higher tax to the top level earners and people at the bottom are getting broadband for free. Regardless of like regardless of your income, mm-hmm. you're essentially you know the people at the bottom where they've you know where the margins are thin like the, the, the slightest margins are in terms of your daily cost of living, that is what they're kind of getting at, and that's the important thing is like yeah. this is how they see the country and this is what they want to these are the headlines they want to grab the technical stuff about who's laying the co- the pipes and whatever like you know that's for someone else to deal with but <laughs> I think I, I think I, I I think I'm interested about that and I think how much it differs from kind of the Tory policy in terms of kind of cutting corporation tax initially to Boris's original proposal yeah. to now moving to mm. actually we're going to keep corporation tax as it is um, which is what is it 17% I think it's 19 and he wants yeah. to he's pledged to reduce it to 17 and he's now said he's going to hold off doing that and, and what, instead yeah. from the NHS and so this is what I find absolutely incredible is that it's gone from you know, actually, the, the argument originally was we cut corporation tax, we increase the amount of tax that we take. That was the original argument for cutting corporation tax. Now, actually, the argument shifted from we're going to keep corporation tax the same so we can fund the NHS. So it, it, it's completely counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's almost like it, it's almost like, you know, it, it completely goes against everything that it was stood for in the original but is it almost the Tories are listening to the public outcry about uh, NHS funding cuts? And this is the really important thing as well, is about the kind of like events taking over the election. This is kind of what's talking about, about the 2017 election. This being fought over Christmas, where the NHS is under like massive stress and crisis, public services are under big amounts of pressure. Mm. This is clearly going to feed into the the kind of the Labour argument. And that is why the, um, the Tories are so focused on just a three word slogan of like, get Brexit done. Yeah. Um, because they want to keep the conversation on Brexit and they don't want to get into spending commitments and public service delivery. Well, and that's, where we, that's where we're bloody at. And it's quite annoying. Do you know what, <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what I want right about now? I want a manifesto, maybe or maybe even two or three manifestos. I want some, I want a few. For once, I actually wanted some facts. Well, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I've never read a manifesto from beginning to end. No, no. Um, but I think we have a duty to our listeners to have a go. <laughs> so, I mean, are, you, are you giving us homework? Is that what's happening here? Well, I think, I mean, basically, most of the country aren't reading manifestos. In fact, I think the Lib Dems at the last election had like a, a brief manifesto, as in like it was a few pages rather than a few hundred pages. And they're full of pictures anyway, so maybe it's not all that bad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's an election pledge. We will all attempt to read the manifestos. Well, well hold on. When we say the, but all of them, which ones? Well, I don't know. Should Conservatives, Labour, Lib Dems, Brexit, Brexit Party. Party. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have a manifesto. They don't though. have one. They, Nigel Farage doesn't believe in manifestos. Well, <laughs> easy homework then, right? Well, true. Yeah, right. I'll take that one. <laughs> Green Party? <laughs> all right. Yeah. 
SNP? Let's see. Let's draw the let's draw the line <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Uh, right, well, uh, we will enlighten you next week, listeners, yeah, we'll uh, with which manifestos we've each picked. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back um, that, That's as far as our election pledge goes. On the subject of election pledges or predictions, obviously Sam last week predicted a conservative majority. So I think I'm starting to form a potential opinion on... That was the most, sorry, that was the most political intro to any sentence ever. I'm thinking I might start to form an opinion on how my thinking may lay. Yeah, I mean, at least at least Simon's not sitting on the fence. <laughs> right, I've got a prediction. Right, here we go. I love it. I think the Conservatives will be the largest party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they won't have a majority. Interesting. Ooh. Yeah, I'm kind of... I think that, and they'll be like 10 votes short. Or I think there'll be like two votes, two to three votes just over the line. I think it's going to be be tight. I'm going to go, do you want a maverick prediction? Come on then. Yeah. This will not happen. <laughs> this is a maverick prediction. Out of absolutely nowhere. So first of all, nobody will have a majority. Yeah. Step one. <laughs> Step two, in the one debate, that she's allowed to take part in, Joe Swinson is going to become Nick Clay 2.0 <laughs> and we're going to have a Labour Lib Dem coalition government. Bosh. What do we think of that? Well, what, what do we think? I don't even know if the maths will allow that, but I think it will and I reckon it's going to happen. I think what's more likely would be a Labour SNP coalition. Have a that. bit of that, some. <laughs> I'm going to do some reading up on Scottish politics before next week because I don't even know what that would mean. Because what, that's one of the big that's one of the big debating points again, and this is like the Tories how they frame the conversation is: if you vote for Corbyn, you open the possibility of free elections in a year, uh, uh, free referendums in a year, because they're going to have to, you know, op- to form a government, they're going to have to do a pact to the SNP and deliver independence. Well, an independence Shall we discuss the SNP India ref um, conundrum next week? Maybe. Yeah, I think next week because I certainly I don't have much knowledge on any of what, anything that we've discussed this week, but I certainly don't have any knowledge on that, <laughs> and I'll need to do a little bit of research. <laughs> we know nothing, so, but so we I know even less about. Well, there we go. I think that's a, a nice place to wrap up this week, and I think. It's really helpful for all of us on this podcast to hear your feedback. And we've really enjoyed hearing people share some thoughts and ideas and how we can kind of take this in a new direction. So do keep doing that. You can um, get in touch with us on Twitter at Another Election. But we would love to hear from you as well. Um, We have the ability for you to record a little message for us and get involved literally, quite literally in the conversation that we're having. Um, So head over to anchor.fm slash not another election. All the links will be in the show notes. And um, that's it from me. Thank you very much, Simon. Goodbye from Jason's Kitchen. See you later.